This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Graw, New Whale. From giants right down to fairies, of both the trooping and solitary, and close to us, sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Merrow Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore, mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself and about the craft, culture and history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I'm your host and your Fireside bard. Welcome to episode 191 of Fireside. Let me just fix this mic angle. There we go. Um, if this is your very first episode of Fireside, today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have a folk tale called The Haunted Cellar, a tale of spooky fairies in deep, dark places. Because it is October, as I'm recording this, this is the most folklorific time of the year when the spirits of the other world come ever closer to ours, all waiting for All Hallows' Eve and all and Samhain, the Feast of Samhain, the end of the Celtic year, when our world and the other world are most entwined. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be having some spooky haunted tales and no more appropriately titled than this one here. Um, if you're a returning listener, thank you so much for your continued support. All the ways you can usually support the podcast, you can tell a friend about it, you can spread the good name of Fireside, you can share it on your story, you can support me directly, you can buy my book, Fire Garden Sea, a neo-myth of home all around the folklore, mythology, history and religion of Ireland written between the east coast of Ireland and the west coast of California. That can be available in paperback on the Headstuff website or in Kindle version on Amazon. Um, you can also support the podcast directly by joining Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com where for as little as five euro a month, although you can pay more if you want, you can support me directly and gain bonus access to uh, content access to bonus content for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. The story for this week comes directly from the treasury of Irish fairy and folktales. All of the links are in the description below to the source, as well as all the links to my book and to Headstuff, the web, Headstuff website. All of that's all in the description below. But this is a treasury of fairy tales and folktales, my very, very treasured, most treasured source that has been with me since the very first days of Fireside. I'm still back in Ireland, working flat away uh, between playing music, uh, playing Irish music and taking people around uh, on the literary tour, bringing people and performing pieces of the famous Irish writers. So it's it's all go and it's great. It's great to be back in Ireland for a while and great to see the country having bounced back from COVID, which I really wasn't sure what happened in as efficiently as as it has 
what's been wonderful is the amount of people, the amount of tourists that have come back to Ireland or in many cases come for the very first time. It was a thing I had hoped would happen that people, particularly in the US, where a lot of listeners to Fireside are from, um, a lot of people in the US who have Irish ancestry, heritage, direct family, who will always have said, it's like, oh, I'll go to Ireland at some stage, you know, and I've always put it off. But those people now know, like we all do, what it is like to not be able to travel and to be really stuck at home. And we have all kind of gone a bit, okay, it is now or never. We have to just do the things if we can, when we can. And that seems to have really happened, the amount of people I'm seeing still, even later in the season as it is October, you know, and the summer is very much over. But still the city is so alive, both with... Uh, with with locals and with people visiting and it's incredible to see and it's lovely to be here for it but this story um is from this book of a fairy of uh, irish fairy and folk tales naturally its name alone was what drew me into it as i was scanning through looking for tales of ghosts and spooky fairies it um i won't actually i was going to say something that probably would have spoiled it a little bit i won't give away too many more details um, but we will chat more about this afterwards. But this is the tale of the haunted cellar on Fireside. The Haunted Cellar Descended directly from the bloodline of the Milesians who became the Celts, the McCarthys have always been one of the most famous and most powerful families in Ireland. And in Ballinacarthy in County Cork, there once lived a Lord Justin McCarthy, who was known all around as a kind, entertaining, and extremely generous host. Whether you worked for him or dined with him, no one could say a bad word about Justin McCarthy. So one would imagine that his staff were loyal and contented, and they were, up to a point. One butler of his said that everyone under McCarthy's service would go grey in Ballinacarthy, provided they were never asked to fetch liquor from the cellar. Those that were asked either went once or not at all, and either way left Ballinacarthy the next day. And because the Lord held so many feasts and dinner parties, frequent visits to the cellar were necessary. So the turnover of staff at Ballinacarthy was very high. Embarrassingly high for Lord Justin. One who was particularly interested in the mystery of the wine cellar was a stable boy named Jack Leary. In his poor and practical upbringing, Jack saw the butlers and house staff of the manor as the best life he could ever dream for himself. He couldn't imagine how silly, frightened folks could leave such a cushy job over having to fetch wine. If I were a butler, I would have no fear. So when the latest butler, Thomas, left Balnacarthy without so much as a word, Jack decided to offer his candidacy to fill the vacant position. The next day, Lord Justin arrived at the stables and called for his horse. The stable keeper was not there, 
so Jack Leary seized his opportunity to bring forth the stallion Rainbow. Where is William? asked McCarthy when he saw the boy was not the master. William, sir, I I think had a bit too much to drink last night, said Jack. Too much to drink? And where did he get that? Because every drop that is drank in this house has to be fetched from the cellar. And there is only one key, which I have around my neck. And since Thomas left, not to mention a thousand other butlers at this stage, I have had to retrieve every bottle myself. Perhaps the cook gave him an extra drop from her cooking wine, suggested Jack before going on. Is it only the cellar that your house staff refused to enter? If I were your butler, you would never have to retrieve another bottle for yourself, my lord. McCarthy looked at the lad. He was far too young, and not at all groomed. But the lord admired the lad's courage, and he was in a bit of a bind himself. All right, Jack Leary, I'll give you a chance. I'm off out for a hunt with a group of country squire friends. Have the table set up for us when we get back. And if I'm happy with that, perhaps you could be my new butler. You may yet have a chance to brave my supposed haunted cellar. Lord McCarthy galloped away on Rainbow, and an elated Jack Leary ran back into the stables. Power does not necessarily corrupt, but power always reveals. And once Jack Leary was raised high above his station, he left all others behind. He forgot all about Peggy, the scullery maid, who he had promised to marry. I can't be involved with wenches now, Jack said. I'm to be a lord's butler. Jack even went to his faithful dog Bran and gave him a good kick. That's what lords do, thought Jack. Lords kick those beneath them. And Jack would never do as a name. Mr. John, that'll be my butler's name. So Mr. John cleaned himself up, put on the closest he had to fine clothes, and marched towards the house. The servants of the manor found it difficult to believe that their lord would appoint a stable boy as a butler. But they all backed down once Mr. John suggested that they descend into the cellar themselves. Mr. John proved to be surprisingly adept and detailed in his preparations of the banquet hall. There was not a piece of cutlery or crockery out of line. When Lord McCarthy returned from the hunt with a boisterous, sweaty bunch of country squires, they cleaned themselves up and were ready to feast. McCarthy was relieved and delighted to walk into his hall and see the table so magnificently set. "'You have done well, Jack,' said McCarthy, unaware the boy was calling himself Mr. John now. "'Now for the real test. Fetch the finest wines from France,' and rums from Antigua. He handed the boy the key to the cellar. Mr. John was ready to prove himself to his lord, and began to descend the stairs. These were the days before ice had come to Ireland, so the wine cellar of Balnacarthy had been built deep down under the house. Darker and colder the stone stairs became as Mr. John descended. 
He didn't think it possible that there could be this many steps. As the damp and wet crept in, Mr. John nearly slipped on the stone and saw his trembling breath fog beside the torch, the lit torch that was being threatened by the dark. Two or three more sources of light would have made no difference to the all-encompassing darkness. Arriving finally at the cellar door, Mr. John felt he had descended into hell or the other world. It was certainly cold enough down here to chill thousands of bottles. But of course, you could not smell the finery of the wine, but the cold must of the damp on your nostrils. Holding the torch in one hand and the large key with the other, Mr. John slid the key into the lock and began to turn. It was too stiff and strong to manage with one hand, but Mr. John could not set down the torch, or it would surely extinguish. As he twisted and turned the latch, Mr. John began to hear groans and wails. Surely just the rust and squeak of the lock, he thought. But in the uncertain dark, doubt and fear festers. And the more he turned, the louder and more varied the wails, grunts, and cries became. Until finally, the door slammed open, as if kicked from the other side. Mr. John once again became the frightened boy Jack as he sat on the wet floor, gazing down into the open cellar. We can never know for sure what Jack Leary saw or heard but he came back sprinting into the banquet hall, whiter than the tablecloth, and without a single bottle. Jack, said Lord McCarthy, where is the rum? Where is the wine? What happened to you? But Jack was catatonic, the fear having stolen his voice, the hubris of a Greek tragedy. That's it, said Justin McCarthy, standing up and throwing down his table napkin. Gentlemen, I apologize for being such a dreadful host. I fear I must sell Balnacarthy as soon as possible and move to another house with less risk of superstitious staff. But that staff will not ruin tonight's feast. I'll go and retrieve the rum myself. Justin McCarthy lit a fresh torch and descended into the haunted cellar. The cellar door was still open rattling and slamming in the tunnel of wine through the cold chamber. Justin walked past rows and rows of full bottles of liquor from every corner of the known world. Ports, whiskies, moonshines. Truly, it was one of the greatest collections in the world, he thought. But then Justin heard the sound of bottles rattling. Perhaps rats have been the source of all this trouble. So he ran in pursuit of the creatures. He swiped the torch left and right like an angry mob before following a loud belch and finally landing the light on a little man. Have I found the source of this mischief at last? asked McCarthy. The man was shorter than an average bottle of wine 
with a red cap, face of a rotten apple, and with a neat apron wrapped around him. He was stumbling in a drunken stupor. Ah, how are you, Justin McCarthy? She wouldn't begrudge your old hurricane nagging of an old drop or two. And I hear we're to move away soon. Where was it we're moved to? Well, you're the reason I wanted to move in the first place. So if you're just going to follow me wherever I go, I might as well just stay at Balnacarthy. Good shout, said the Chlorachan. I like it here. All me stuff is here. So Lord Justin McCarthy remained at Balnacarthy, and never had a staff member who would go into the haunted cellar again. The Lord himself had to continue to fetch every bottle. But both he and the Chlorachan Naganine developed a begrudging respect for each other. The fairy wouldn't bother McCarthy, and the Lord turned a blind eye to whatever the little man drank. Sure, he was only little when it came down to it. How much could he possibly drink? How much indeed? For years and years went by, and McCarthy threw the biggest, most generous feasts in all of Munster. But as the years went by... The Lord was no longer able to walk the treacherous steps to and from the cellar, and the cellar itself fell into disrepair, as it was never restocked or restructured. And by the time Lord Justin McCarthy passed away, no one wanted to move into Bal McCarthy, the manor with the haunted cellar. So, no one knows what happened to the Chlorachan Naganin. He may still be there, polishing off every last drop of Antiguan rum. Perhaps he even got a real job. Perhaps it was one cobbling shoes. For there are some who say that a Chlorachan is nothing more than a leprechaun on the lash. The end. Technology, love it or hate it, it's part of our everyday lives. It's what brings you podcasts, minions memes from your granny, videos of animals doing adorable things, lots of lovely stuff. But it can also bring you anxiety, abuse and lots of ugly stuff. Some technologists would like you to believe that tech is going to save us all. Others want to warn you that it's going to ruin our lives. But sometimes it's just tech. And sometimes it's just tech for tech's sake. I mean, do we need NFTs? Should we be comfortable chatting with chatbots? Do drones have to deliver our dinner? Do we really want to meet in the metaverse? Do we really need so many podcasts? No, wait, that one's not so bad because For Tech's Sake is a new podcast taking a dive into deep tech and examining the everyday electronics influencing our lives. We're taking a look under the hood at the good parts, the bad parts and everything in between and hopefully helping you make your mind up about whether or not you love it or hate it. I'm Elaine Burke. I'm Jenny Darmody. And this is For Tech's Sake, a co-production from the Headstuff Podcast Network and Silicon Republic. 
And that is the delightful little tale of the haunted cellar on Fireside. Yes, because we have a real rug pull here where it turns out there's nothing to be feared of. It isn't a ghost or a demon or a banshee or anything in the cellar. It is a humble little Chlorachan um, who are also known as the Far Darig. They have been what many of the stories we've been doing recently on the solitary fairies. Many of the folk tales have been on. But I haven't used this phrase Chlorachan much uh, because there is really detail given into the lore of the Chlorachan here or the red caps as they're often known as. Because otherwise they are just a kind of mishmash of just little men. Um, but that really gave it context when I discovered, yes, that there are many who just consider the Chlorican to be a leprechaun who has, who is just out on the beer, who has lost his job making, because leprechaun, as I call it, the dreaded L word of Irish folklore, because it's so oversaturated and undersells the rest of the breath and majesty that is Irish folklore. They do, that it is a very, it is just a job similar to a Viking, to go a Viking is a, is a job to a Norseman rather than a people. And a leprechaun is also a job. It is a job that a chloricon or a fairy has. It is specifically a fairy shoemaker. The rest of the pot of gold and the rainbows and all of the Americanized versions of the image, the Lucky Charms image, is all secondary because fundamentally that is what a leprechaun is, is one who cobbles shoes. And so while adapting this story, I wanted to, knowing what the reveal was and that it has actually quite a charming or amusing climax and ending um, and a bit of a rug pull, as I said, I wanted to try and do as much of a build-up as possible to create a sense of atmosphere. So I really felt I was able to give a bit of detail to this story, knowing it would be a shorter one as well. So we have these two central human characters. We have the kind of Protestant ascendancy lord of the manor, Justin McCarthy, who actually is portrayed very benevolently in this tale. He is the sound chap, and it's important that he is because it's important that the only reason that his staff refuse to work for him is for having to go into this haunted cellar and that that's how much of a deal breaker it is. It wouldn't be as big of a deal if he was a dickhead, you know, and was horrible to all his staff, like quintessentially lords and kingly characters can be in stories such as this. And then we get Jack Leary, we get the stable boy, who, um, these two details that I gave, that I gave of him, um, were in the book. I put my own spin on them, but they were in the Teacroft and Croker version that is in A Treasury of Fairy and Folktales, which, by the way, if you can read, like all of these versions, usually most of them are available to Google. This is a this is considered like the iconic story of a Chlorachan, particularly in folklore. And they are naturally in many of these stories. They're in loads of different books. They're either in W.B. Yeats' book. They're in this Barnes & Noble Treasury of Irish Fairy and Folk Tales. But nearly all of them are available online. I don't like reading things on screens uh, just because my it kills my eyes. Um, but anyone can look. But this version, well, a lot of these stories can be quite stuffy because they come from the, either the 18th or the 19th century. 
And that is kind of the main reason I started Fireside, to give a fresher version of these tales, to just tell them as stories and not get wrapped up in a kind of denser language um, and just to constantly be writing and adapting. But this, this the version, the T. Croft and Croker version, and T. Croft and Croker has a lot of the best versions of some of them. I think his is The Man With No Story and Brewery of Eggshells, I think it's him, or that might be Lady Wild. But he has a lot of the, what I would consider classic Fireside tales are his recordings they aren't his originals but like he was the first one who put them down so he he had a really great eye for them and but how he writes how he writes this one is really lovely there's an incredible amount of detail and the dialogue is really funny and this was a fresh retelling. so this ended up just being my version rather than needing to find the story within it and his details that i spoke with jack leary are Jack instantly, like instantly, the moment he becomes the butler, you know, before his trial has even began, that he becomes lofty and too good for everything. Um, because, yes, there is this psychology. Um, I recently watched Ted Lasso a couple of, and it, it blew me away, the the performances and the writing of it and its, its portrayal of masculinity and pathos uh, and just of positivity and earnestness and sincerity was something I didn't think I'd see on TV again in such a well-constructed non-twee non-sentimental way or like it is sentimental to me but not in the negative connotation of that word and it's not saccharine or if it is at all so it's done so very intentionally and with a great sense of tact um, and anyone who watches it because I, I'm not a fan of football at all um, and so I'd like that's probably why I only watched it so recently. Um, but I don't, I'd heard such incredible things, but it really, really blew me away. And so I won't spoil it. I think people who've watched it might know what I'm talking about. Where when I say there are certain people who, when they get a level of success, either bring people's up, bring other people up, or feel others have to be put down. That when you feel when someone feels like they've done some well for themselves to maintain or to continue to rise in that position, they must make other people feel like shit. And that is a really toxic and poisonous spiral um, and a real central theme to the, particularly the second season of Ted Lasso. Well, but I won't give any more away than that. Uh, but watch it. It is brilliant. Um, but... We get a detail of that with Jack Leary where he instantly abandons his fiance. we promise to marry and uh, kicks his dog one way. Like Disney always said one way to make your, make your audience root for their central character is show them being kind to either animals or children. So Aladdin with the bread or, you know, uh, Belle talking to the sheep or, or Ariel with flounder, you know, it's, Always be kind to animals or children, and that's a way a general audience will root. And yeah, one way to make an audience not root for your character is to have them kick a dog. And I liked this interpretation of uh, that being that this interpretation of that is what it is to be landed gentry in Protestant aristocracy. To Even though Justin McCarthy, it adds another lovely beat to the fact that Justin is actually a really benevolent and nice lord and really kind to his staff. That Jack Leary thinks you have to be a dick to everyone to be a butler and to be a member of the house staff. So he kicks his dog and that makes us immediately go, okay, this guy's got to get it. 
And so he pays no attention to all the warnings about the haunted cellar, goes in. But this is where the, the horror, the spooky element had to, was most clear. And I wanted to create as much of a, a visceral, sensual experience of the walk down the stairs. I wanted to get the feel of the cold. I wanted the, the smell of the damp. I wanted to really describe the darkness as, as best I could. And I also then got to use what I always like using Tolkien thought that the most pleasing word or two words or however many words are in the English language is cellar door. And cellar door is so delicious to say. And it was lovely to get such an opportunity to frequently write that. And you know, it all just really ties the language together. Um, and so we have Jack go wide as goes. I like this Mr. John element as well. And him considering himself a man only to have the boy frightened back into him or revealed in him. That um, that power always reveals I got from... I got through Lindsay Ellis, my absolute hero on, on YouTube, who I followed for years and years, her critical analyses of of Disney movies and, and scripts and anything she touches I've always adored and musicals. Um, and I miss her content a huge amount. She retired um, from YouTube um and she has a she has a young baby as well which i wish her all the best with but i miss her her content for lack of the more sophisticated term incredibly so but still religiously listen to um, the, her podcast musical display musical explaining which is really really good if anyone's if anyone really loves musicals or really hates musicals you should listen to musical explaining she founded that with her friend cave terrian who still hosts it with who was Lindsay's co-writer, Angelina Meehan. Lindsay herself has stepped back from it um, entirely. But she did a guest spot recently on back on it, and it's just so good to hear her voice again. I just love her brain. I love her mind. I love the way she looks at things. Um, and But she did a special... She did uh, two analyses on the shit show that was the ending of Game of Thrones and talked about... Um, news and analysis of a book about Ro- Robert Moses, the city planner in New York. I have a guy who was adapt who had written this biography on him. I must remember the name of him, and he wrote a like a four volume biography of Lyndon Johnson as well. He said when he was talking writing about Lyndon Johnson, he used to think that the the adage that power corrupts absolutely, um, and saying that he didn't believe that anymore. He said that power always reveals. When someone gets the power to do what they always wanted to do, you see what they always wanted to do. That was always in them. And even in just the slightest way, it was nice to have that with Jack Leary, make this uh, just like a little moment of hubris in the supporting character of this story. Before we hand back over to the benevolent Justin, and who heads back down, and we meet our Chloricon, Naganin. And it is... The reveal that it isn't a figure to be afraid of. It's just, it's a Clurican's dream, you know, just haunt the cellar, keep everyone else away, and you just have all all of this access to this incredible drink. And I really liked that it's drink from all over the world. I spoke when we did an episode a couple of weeks ago, Master and Man, um, which is also in this collection, where I liked that they went to Jamaica um, for this fairy battle. And it was the first time I'd seen Jamaica or any of the West Indies or the Caribbean islands mentioned in one of these stories. And there is such a strong connection between our two countries. And so it was really nice to see that in the folklore. And here we have a mention of Jamaican and Antiguan rum. 
um, and you wonder like where did all of these different and the idea of this cellar that has all these these liquors, these whiskies, these rums from all over, and and it just made my mind start to wonder like what was accessible if you, of course, being a wealthy landowner, but what countries could you get? Could you get drink from anywhere in the world at that point? How much of it came over? How expensive was it? How difficult was it to get? That was really nice to kind of bring it into the world of it and the incredible world that this Chloricon dominates. And of course, he, the amazing manipulation of the Chloricon to say, um, yeah, yeah, I'm here, but if you move, I'm just going to move with you, so you might as well stay. And so he binds him to it, but... They have a respect for each other then, and Justin, no one else will. But you really see how the ghost story then builds and remains that even though Justin was okay and probably told people that it's just the Chloricon Maganine, that that would be why the cellar and then the house would go into disrepair, and then after Justin, that no one would want to live there. And the the haunted element of the haunted cellar, not the reality of the drunken fairy living there, that is what goes on. And that will always be. Because every haunted tale, every ghost story, is rooted in something that happened, whether it's from a supernatural source or not. So even if you don't believe in the supernatural at all, every story like has something to it. Very few are made up out of thin air. And when there was something tangible or some shocking coincidence or something really bizarre, they all came from, there's a kernel of truth somewhere there that expanded so the kernel of truth being in this case something supernatural as well just not something supernatural in the expected way in that it's a little little drunken fairy but that is not what persists persists is the idea of the haunted cellar and that and no one living in balnacarthy for fear of what lies beneath so that is the tale of the haunted cellar and i hope you all enjoyed it um, next week we're going to have another folktale I'm recording this with last week's episode at the moment as well so this will be from two weeks from now um, but we will have another folktale another haunted folktale from this book and then we will probably have our Fireside of Horror 4 Fireside of Horror 3 whichever one is where I'll adapt or read sections from other sources and um, I'll see what I can put together this year they're always my favourite to do the those little specials reading bits of like Poe or Bram Stoker or anything that's just that little bit out there and just that break in the mold a little bit and just spread spread some other good good stuff. But uh, all the usual things, follow me over on Instagram, spread the word of Fireside, share this on your stories, um, buy my book Garden Sea at Amazon and Kindle or in paperback from Headstuff, support the podcast at Headstuff Plus, all the links are in the description below. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. 